Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. So this episode was recorded last year and was supposed to be released on the 50th anniversary of the Kent State shooting and the University of Kentucky ROTC fire. However, just as with most things pandemic, we had to postpone and release it this month on the 51st anniversary. Either way, the subject matter is still very relevant to today and we hope you find it informative and eye-opening. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, thank you for joining us. This past May was a surreal month for many high school and college graduates as the graduations were canceled due to the pandemic. But it wasn't the first time that the University of Kentucky had to cancel graduation ceremonies. 50 years prior, UK students reacting to the historic Kent State shootings and protesting the Vietnam War were met with the National Guard. The building tensions during finals week ended with an arson fire to one of the buildings on campus. Here with us today is Wayne Johnson to give us the details of that incident. In the mid to late 1960s and early 1970s, during the height of the Vietnam War, hundreds of college campuses experienced student protest against the war, including the University of Kentucky. Now, in the first week of May 1970, the university had a very eventful week of anti-war protest, including an ROTC building being burned to the ground, bomb threats, protest rallies, tear gassing of students, a one-punch fight between a UK board trustee and a student demonstrator, and the cancellation of graduation ceremonies. Sound familiar? The state police and then the National Guard had to be called in to restore and maintain the peace as the protest overwhelmed the small UK campus police force. It was a week of turmoil and unrest that the university as well as the city of Lexington, would not soon forget. Now, let me set the stage for you. As mentioned, the Vietnam War was going hot and heavy, and it created great divisiveness within the country. College campuses throughout the country had anti-war protests, and quite frankly, the country was being torn apart over the issue. I grew up in the 60s and early 70s, and I, I remember all the arguments over the Vietnam War. Well, it was a very fraught with turmoil. I mean, there's, of course, the civil rights movement was still going on and in addition to the Vietnam War. So The 60s was a very turbulent decade, and one can make an argument that it, the 60s didn't actually end on, on December 31st, 1969. It, mm-hmm. it fed right into the 70s, yeah. as uh, Kent State has shown. But anyway, on Thursday evening, April 30th of 1970, President Nixon Uh, gave a televised address to the nation announcing an escalation of the war. He announced that he was sending in troops into neighboring Cambodia. Cambodia is right next to Vietnam to apparently chase the enemy into their, their areas in Cambodia. Well, this did not go over too well with the anti-war faction in the United States. And in fact, it was probably a tipping point for many who were opposed to the war. They were outraged by this televised address. A lot of the campuses 
had problems the following week. Yeah. But nothing like the uh, Kent State University had. Kent State, which is located in Kent, Ohio, had protests and riots beginning the very next day, Friday, May. So after after his speech, right? Yes, right after okay. his speech. Fr- on Friday night, they took to the streets of downtown Kent and started throwing rocks through businesses. And, and that started a long weekend of uh, student anti-war demonstrations on campus, including taunts, rock throwing, and the burning of the campus ROTC building on mm-hmm. Saturday night, May 2nd. Now, this caused the this burning of the ROTC building. John Rhodes, I believe his name was, the governor mm-hmm. of Ohio, called in the National Guard to restore order on campus. Okay. So, so the National Guard came on the Kent State campus, I believe, on Saturday night to restore order and to prevent the protesters for, from doing any further damage. Okay. To the campus, and the reason we're giving this, doing this podcast today. Uh, originally, we had it planned for earlier in the year, but yeah. with COVID and everything else happening, we couldn't meet the 50th anniversary date of May 4th of 1970. So, we had to delay the podcast a few months, but but better better late than than never. <laughs> But anyway, let me set the stage for you on this one. You have a weekend of protest on Kent State, the student demonstrators who before were only angry about the Vietnam War, now were even more angry over Nixon's escalation of the war and uh, what they considered an invasion of their campus by the National Guard. Mm-hmm. So, so it kind of escalated the situation by calling in the National Guard. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's kind of a catch-22. You know, mm-hmm. do you let the students just go tear up the campus or do you bring in some some folks to uh, put a stop to it? Yeah. But anyway, going back to the mid-1970s could be said to have had a high noon moment. This was it. Uh, after a weekend of riots and rock, and it reached a point that 12.24 p.m. on that Monday, May 4th, 1970, the National Guard was trying to put down a protest rally uh, that started at noontime. And apparently the campus or university president had put a ban on on rallies. And the National Guard, of course, was left to enforce the ban. And they went out to uh, put a stop to the rally. And they had something called the Commons, which we're familiar with here at Central. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. The commons ground on Kent State's campus was where the students liked to meet to do whatever, including protesting. So it's like an open, like a free speech area, basically. Yeah. 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 To, to the students, I'm sure that was their area. So they considered the guards presence as maybe an invasion of their area. After climbing a hill, some members of the guard turned around and from my from my research, there was never an official order to shoot mm-hmm. toward the students. Now these these uh, guard members were carrying li- live ammunition in their guns. A few of them turned around and knelt down and aimed their rifles and fired. They fired sixty seven shots in all in those six. 13 seconds and those 13 seconds at Kent State's still reverberate in America's conscious. It, it was just a terrible, I was 13 years old at the time and 
No matter what your opinion of the Vietnam War was or is, you know, this shooting killed four students, uh, two of them who were actually not even involved in the protest. They were just walking, well, walking past to to class. Mm -hmm. And nine others were wounded and one was paralyzed for, for life. This really outraged the anti-war protesters throughout the country. Of course, yeah. I mean they were like they were upset with the war, and they were upset with Nixon's uh, decision on Cambodia. But this just really, really just got them. The whole tension was escalated, and you know the National Guard not necessarily trained to contain riots. They're trained for war. They're trained for protection not necessarily to de-escalate tense situations like this. Exactly. And there, there's, and if you want to learn more about Kent State and the college upheavals, Nixon, after the shooting, formed a commission called the Scranton Commission. And if you just Google the Scranton Commission on the student protest uh, on the internet, you'll, it's, it's a pretty long document, but you can get a good feel for what happened, what caused it, and there's enough blame to go around. It's It was a tragedy that four, four students uh, lost their life. I think uh, no matter what your views on the Vietnam War were, everybody can agree that that was a tragedy. Now, after the Nixon speech and the subsequent Kent State shootings, like I said, college campuses erupted in any war protest, uh, and many were in turmoil. And unfortunately, the UK campus, my beloved school, but this happened way before I was there, they were not immune to this upheaval. Now, on Tuesday, May 5th, the day after the Kent State shootings, UK students began to gather in front of the new Patterson office tower. They had gathered to express their opposition not only to the Vietnam War and the escalation of it, sending troops into Cambodia, but they were also irate over the previous day's shooting at Kent State. Mm -hmm. Day, Tuesday, May 5th, to say the least, turned out to be a very tumultuous day in UK's history. Now, it was on this day that the UK Board of Trustees had a regularly scheduled meeting at 2 p.m. on the 18th floor of the Patterson office tower. How convenient for the students, I guess, the student protesters. Well, anyway, the trouble started... Uh, when many of the protesters, and I'm getting different n- numbers in my research, but there there was probably maybe 200 to 400 students out there in front of Patterson when the board meeting started. And many of those protesters went up to the 18th floor to the meeting. And several, and I think it was around uh, 35 by one, one account, was actually allowed into the meeting while the rest uh, hung out in the hallway. Um and the ones hanging out in the hallway were definitely not there reading the Robert's Rules of Order on how board meetings work because they were uh, quite loud. <laughs> but by most accounts, the students that were allowed inside the meeting room, uh, by and large, were respectful, although they apparently conveyed some, some of their demands to the board of trustees. Now, some of the demands included they wanted the board to denounce the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. They wanted the board to oppose corporations that supported the war effort. And at the time, the board was, they were in the process of revising the student code. I guess it was a student code of conduct on campus. 
And uh, the protesters also threw in that they wanted, I guess, more say-so on what the new student code was going to be like. They probably wanted some of their changes incorporated. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, there was a demand to condemn the Kent State killings, which to me, of course, is a no-brainer. Actually, the U.K. president at the time, Otis Singletary, he had just started uh, at U.K., I think, in 1969. So he hadn't been there very long. He had apparently already ordered the campus American flag to be flown at half staff and had a makeshift memorial with the names of the four Kent State students who were killed the previous day. And like I said earlier, no matter what your political persuasion or views on the war, every everyone was saddened by, by what happened to those students at Kent State. Well, anyway, after the board meeting was over, things really heated up because remember, many of the protesters are in the hallway uh, outside the door as the trustees left the meeting. Now, the trustees, apparently the so many students came up to the 18th floor that apparently the elevators, electric motors or whatever broke down because there were so many coming up. So, I wonder if it's the same elevators they have now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, I remember we know, those elevators. Yeah, we know about problems with elevators. Uh, <laughs> so the trustees would have to leave by the stairwell. Mm-hmm. But anyway, when the meeting was over, the trustees came out into the hallway and, and then it happened. Um, a 70-year-old trustee, former Kentucky governor, U.S. senator, and Major League Baseball commissioner, Happy Chandler, uh, left the meeting. He was approached by some of the students that were protesting. A female student happened to ask Chandler why they were not being listened to. Well, Chandler, and if you knew Happy Chandler, which I do by you know reading papers, I actually met Happy Chandler one time. He tweaked her cheek in a good-natured way, I I think, and said to her after she issued her concerns, he said, honey, I would stop the war in Vietnam tomorrow if I could. Well, when this was going on, they were surrounded by all these protesters, and one of the uh, male students didn't like the fact, he thought it was condescending for Chandler to tweak the the girl student Mm -hmm. on her cheek. Mm-hmm. And later on, many of the, or some of the protesters said that Happy looked scared amid, amid all these young student protesters. Uh, at this point, a male student who didn't like what Happy had done, he was somewhat to the side and behind a chan- Chandler. He grabbed Chandler to wheel him around. And later on, Chandler said the student had actually pulled him by his tie, necktie, to pull him around. And I guess to let him know what he thought about what Happy Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, you know, maybe they thought they could intimidate Happy because, uh, like I said, a couple of them said that he looked scared at this point. You know, Happy Chandler in- intimidated. I don't know about that. <laughs> Let me give you a little quick background on Happy Chandler if you're if you're wondering how he reacted. Now, this is a Happy Chandler as governor of Kentucky led the state through the most destructive natural disaster of the 20th century, which was the great 1937 flood which devastated Kentucky. Uh, Now, this is the same Happy Chandler who, during the 1938 Democratic primary, which he was running for the U.S. Senate against President Roosevelt's hand-picked choice, Alvin Barkley, when FDR came to campaign for Barkley, uninvited, Happy actually plopped himself down in the car between FDR and Alvin Barkley before a motorcade parade got started. Happy was not uh, timid, to say the least. 
And you have to also remember Happy Chandler's baseball commissioner, along with Dodger owner and president Branch Rickey, took on the baseball establishment and traditionalist and led the way to one of the greatest societal events of the 20th century, which was the integration of Major League Baseball with Jackie Robinson. So apparently this student not only was unfamiliar with uh, the Roberts Rules of Order when he grabbed Happy, but he was also probably not familiar with Happy's uh, combative nature. Now, what did Happy do? Well, he wheeled around and he punched the student right on the nose. Oh, boy. And it was a one-punch fight. and the other protesters moved in on Happy, and no telling what would have happened, but several campus police had to intervene and escort Chandler and the other trustees off the floor. Now, I'm not sure who benefited the most by this intervention of the campus police, either Happy or the student protesters, because like I said, Happy was not one to be intimidated. If I remember Patterson's hallways, that's a pretty tight hallway, and you said there was Board of Trustees, about 35, 40 students. Yes. So it's it must have been pretty tight. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it was very disruptive. Uh, I think some of the board trustees after the meeting said that they could hear what was going on out out in the hallway, and uh, so it, it was a very tense situation. Well, anyway, the students wanted Happy Chandler to be charged with assault after punching this student, male student. But those of us who know how how Kentucky works back then at least, that that wasn't going to happen. In fact, a few days after the fact, Chandler received a letter of congratulations from none other than longtime FBI director J. Edgar Hoover. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And Hoover said something to the effect of, good job hitting that hippie. Every Everyone should hit one. Well, we all know what, what he felt about the protesters and the, the so-called hippie generation, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, there there was a great divide back back in those days between the establishment and the, the younger people. They were against the war. Was it a generational divide, though? Or is it just like a I, philosophical divide? Or Well, I, w- I would say it was a generational divide. But, you know, many, not I don't know if it's many, but some of the faculty, UK faculty, I don't know if it's a young faculty or not, actually made uh, anti-war speeches, I think, in front of the student center during during this time period. So it wasn't just the students, you know, the faculty and so forth. I, I would say it was a generational yeah. divide, but uh, I'm sure there was many older folks that hindsight's 2020. You can look look back on it now and say, well, maybe maybe we shouldn't have done it. But in, at that time, you know, it's it's, it's tough to judge. Yeah. You know, I, I just remember my myself growing up as a kid, you know, I was rather naive and I would watch the nightly news with Walter Cronkite. And I think every Sunday night or Monday night or whatever, they would have like a, a body count of how many North Vietnamese were killed compared to how many. And, and of course, the North Vietnamese had much more casualties. And as a naive youngster thinking, well, we're winning this war, you know, just based on the numbers. It was only when you grow up and you look at it a little bit differently, uh, you realize the numbers are not part of the equation. Yeah, That's not to say that the deaths were not to be paid attention to. Vietnam War was, uh, the era was not, not good times. Mm-hmm. 
After the board meeting, the students continued their protest, and there was a parade of student protesters who marched down later on that afternoon, early evening, marched down Rose Street and Euclid Avenue, Avenue of Champions, carrying four coffins to symbolize the four dead Kent State students. They went to Buell Armory, which was the ROTC building on campus. And this this was the building, you have to remember, the Kent State building was, ROTC building was burned down. And ROTC buildings were kind of like the symbol of the war effort. Yeah. So if anything was going to happen as far as destruction of property, it, it would be at the ROTC building. Now, uh, there was a tense standoff that uh, Tuesday evening between the students and campus police. And now at this point, Tuesday evening, the city police and state police were called in because there's no way that the campus police, I think they had a force of about 20 campus police were going to be able to handle all this stuff. But there was a tense standoff there at Buell Armory, and this was at the end of a long, tense day of uh, confrontation and the protest rallies and the parade and, of course, the board meeting, which uh, ended in a fight. Now, after all this, shortly before midnight, a fire believed to have been started by a Molotov cocktail destroyed the old Air Force building at the northwest corner of Euclid and Harrison Avenue, now Martin Luther King Boulevard. Security and the, and the, and the police and were concentrating so much on the Army ROTC building. Some, I guess someone decided to go ahead and torch the old Air Force ROTC building which was an old wooden Quonset hut. And it was only basically used for, for storage. Was anybody hurt? Luckily, no, uh, even though I think a fireman was uh, overcome with smoke. But all in all, or no, no one was hurt, even though the fire did spread, the fire and the smoke did spread across the street to the girls' dorm, Blazer Hall, busted out some windows of heat, and the, the dorm had to be evacuated. Okay. Well, anyway, a female student was walking near the building, the ROTC building, when it caught on fire. And she happened to have a soda bo- bottle, which apparently she had bought at a grocery store and it was filled with ginger ale. They found this out later. But since she was walking by the building and she had a soda bottle and they thought she had a Molotov cocktail and she was actually arrested and charged with arson. Wow. Yeah. She was a 21-year-old, I think, journalism student. Now, charges were dropped a few weeks later. Apparently, she didn't have anything to do with it. But to this day, no one has been connected or convicted for this fire. And like I mentioned, the fire had spread across the street in Blazer Hall. Now, unbeknownst to everyone on campus as the fire was raging at the ROTC building, Governor Louis Nunn was on site in an unmarked state trooper car. And he got a firsthand look at the fire. Apparently, he was in Frankfurt and got a report that a uh, building was on fire. And he immediately traveled to, to Lexington with state trooper escort and stayed in his car and made a point to not be known to be on campus because, in his later words, he didn't want to give credence to what the protesters were doing. He thought if he they saw him there that they would that would even embolden them even more to to do more more damage so he kind of stayed in the background in his car when the fire was being put out now later on early that morning of Wednesday morning 
and by early morning, I mean like after mid, right after midnight, he met with President Singletary at the president's home, uh, Maxwell Place, and the decision, they met in the kitchen of the Maxwell Place. They made the decision that they, they were going to call in the National Guard and they were going to institute a curfew. I think it was a 16, a 6 p.m. curfew on campus. And they're going to use the National Guard to enforce this curfew and to, to help keep law and order on campus. And when none called in the guard, he made a public statement on Wednesday, basically went like this. He said, National Guardsmen with live ammunition. He made a point. Life. Yeah, he made a point to uh, let people know they would be armed with live ammunition and bayonets. And they were called on campus to protect students in buildings. Yeah. So what was the sentiment, though? Like, I mean, I know that people were sad about the shootings in Kent State and, and the reaction. and But were was the general public supportive of the protesters or did they just consider them as troublemakers? I mean, this is the story is seeming very, very familiar to what's going on today. Yeah. Yeah, I think it depends on whether you're part of the establishment or not. And I know I read some things when I was researching the Kent State shootings. I read some things from people after the Kent State shootings that were, you know, just kind of shocked me that, and I think they were just venting anger, but they were supportive people being shot. I'm like, how can you support something like that? Uh, but there was, there was a lot of anger on both sides. You know, I guess the best way to describe it is, I, I think uh, the movie Forrest Gump does it does it best, and I've always wondered, you know, when Forrest gave his speech about the one thing I got to say about Vietnam, and then the person pulls the microphone plug, nobody can hear what he has to say. I, I think that may symbolize the divide in the in the Vietnam War better than than anything. Somebody said later. After Kent State, UK said something to the effect of people were right about some things and people were wrong about some things. We can't talk about the protests um, that happened at UK without talking about what's going on today with the Black Lives Matter movement. And it wasn't the first time that college students would get shot at Kent State. Before then, their African-American students were killed in South Carolina during protests, civil rights movements. But we have a long history, unfortunately, of, of protests, I guess you can say, going wrong with the wrong reaction by those that are in authority. And I would hope that maybe one day we would learn our lesson from studying history. But unfortunately, it seems like things tend to repeat themselves. I had this script written up months ago before COVID, or had most of it written up. And I was all ready to do the podcast and then the COVID hit. And then we had the uh, Minneapolis tragedy uh, happen. And I, I said to myself, and I think I, I told Aaron, our podcast director and coordinator, who does a great job, by the way, I, I told her, I said, I just can't do this podcast with everything going on. It just hits too close to home. And I actually had my script at home. I, I either lost it or threw, I threw it away because I'm thinking I'm never going to do this podcast with all this all this going on in America. And then, you know, time heals things. And 
Yeah. And part of that healing is talking about it. Yes. Discussing it and bringing it to the forefront, really. As Kentucky Room librarians, we study history. And it's frustrating sometimes when you do study history and you see it repeated. And it's like, okay, if people would just understand that this has happened before. Oh, yeah. And But we still tend to make the same mistakes over and over again. Well, I, I will say this one thing, because I think Governor Nunn at the time made a great decision. He didn't want another Kent State tragedy on UK's campus. He made, he made that announcement that the um, National Guard were armed with live ammo. But actually, by later accounts, he admitted he had ordered the guard to keep their live ammo out of the, the rifles. They were, they were carrying live ammo, but they, the live ammo was not in the gun. And, you know, anybody after Kent State, nobody wanted another. Nobody wanted the first Kent State. Nobody wanted another Kent State to happen. So Governor Nunn, you know, made it a point to make sure that, but he just didn't want another tragedy to happen on UK's campus. But he was also adamant that, you know, he wasn't going to sit by and see the university burn to the ground. You know, he had a responsibility, met it. What happened after the fire at UK. Nobody was found guilty of it. Now, the following day saw continued unrest on the UK campus, and the National Guard and other law enforcement were there to impose the uh, 6 p.m. I think it was 6 p.m., could have been 7 p.m., but there was a curfew, and rallies were not not to be put up with. And UK, many times in the next couple of days, the UK protesters were forced off campus and I think on Thursday, May 7th, they, the National Guard actually used tear gas to break up a rally. Uh, so tear gas was used, and they marched over to the Lexington Theological Seminary to continue the protest, uh, which is across the street from the main UK campus. They marched down Main Street. And I, you know, I used to catch the uh, city bus home from school back during that period. And I, you know, I don't remember seeing them march down Main Street, but I vaguely remember, and I was 13 years old at the time, I vaguely remember waiting for my bus at three o'clock in the afternoon one day and that people downtown were preparing for uh, the UK protesters to march down Main Street. That's just a vague memory of mine, but I never actually remember seeing any protesters marching down Main Street, but there are pictures of them doing it. And uh, one night they even uh, marched over to Transylvania and they, had, they held a rally over over there. And by most accounts, these marches were, were uneventful. Mo- most of these folks weren't out to destroy anything. They just wanted to be listened to and get their point across. And now th- several were arrested for disorderly conduct. And even Otis Singletary and uh, Governor Nunn were, uh, I think they were sued by for their decision to bring the National Guard on campus. They were actually sued and they had a court hearing like a week or two later. And I think they had to testify, but they weren't found guilty or the case was dropped or whatever. Some of the other things that, uh, like I said, this was finals week. It was very disruptive for the kids getting ready for their finals. Singletary and Nunn had to decide, okay, how are we going to finish up school? Should we close the campus down? And I think the decision was made not to close the campus. I think the students were given the option of if they didn't want to take their finals, if they didn't want to come on campus, if they thought it was unsafe, that they could, they had the option of taking the grade that they had currently had before the finals 
or I think they may have had the option that they could take the, the finals later on. Commencement was postponed. It was, I think it was scheduled for May 11th, and it was postponed, and I think they finally held commencement on August 8th, wow. okay. 1970. An interesting story I, I ran across when I was doing the research here was the law students. Their graduation ceremony was also canceled, and they did not have their ceremony until 25 years later on the 25th anniversary, wow. 1995, and there's a big article written about that. Like I mentioned, if you want to know more about the, the causes and the events of 1970, you know, we, I failed to mention uh, up to this point the Jackson State shooting. There was a shooting on the Jackson State campus a couple weeks after, or maybe the following week after Kent State, and two students were killed. So the, these were bad times. And like I said, the Scranton Commission, would, if you're interested in learning more about this uh, campus unrest and how it was dealt with and the causes and so forth, the Scranton Commission on the protest, you can Google it and it's, it's maybe like a 40, 50 page document. But, you know, in closing, I just want to say, you know, since we started our podcast with uh, Nixon's speech in April 1970, all such an upheaval. I wanted to end this podcast with another President Nixon statement. And this one is from his farewell speech to his staff on August 9th, 1974. Yep, the Watergate scandal. Yep, after his resignation. If ever there was a man who had been to the highest position imaginable and then reached such a level of abyss as Watergate, and the resignation, Nixon, he was there. You know, he, he was the most powerful man in the world. And then Watergate happened. And he said something in his farewell speech that has always stayed in my mind in his farewell address. I've always kept in my mind. And whenever I find myself getting too worked up over a situation, I try to remind myself of this quote because I think it's kind of been lost in the history books. And it, it went like this as he ended his farewell uh, to staff on August 9, 1974. Always give your best. Never get discouraged. Never be petty. Always remember, others may hate you, but those that hate you don't win unless you hate them, and then you destroy yourself. Okay, well, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, Wayne, for the research and presenting us with this important, important moment in Lexington and UK history. Okay, thanks. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.